For those that don't know me, I'm Alan Ellishaw. I happen to be Ian's uncle, not his dad. And uh, I served here as lead pastor, working with Christy from January 2009 through to the end of August 2017, which poses a question, what am I still doing here? Uh, there are certain streams in the Christian church where if you retire, you're not allowed to attend that church anymore. You've got to go to a new parish. Um, but we've managed to survive, Christian and I, that is, um, with, uh, with me remaining here. So, so people ask that question, what do you do when you're no longer lead pastor? Is that difficult? Well, you find a new focus. That's the answer. You don't compete, and you don't criticize, but you find a new focus. So some might be surprised that I don't do the things I did when I was lead pastor. You don't see me very often at the prayer meeting, for example, because if I'm at a prayer meeting, I'm going to give direction to the prayer meeting, and that's not my job anymore. And uh, you don't see me doing pastoral visits anymore, because that's not my responsibility. So I find practical ways to serve the church. It gives me plenty to do. After standing down as lead pastor back in uh, 2017, we were busy demolishing a building on the site next door, and I spent, along with others, hours chipping off the mortar off Accrington bricks. And we actually sold those Accrington bricks. If you want the full story... Uh, Ray Blackley has all the details. So for four years then, after standing as lead pastor, my task, along with others, was to work on the planning, a planning approval, the design, the construction of that building. And if you were here last Sunday, you heard the amazing news that the cost of 1.6 million has been completely paid, which is an absolute miracle. I can, I can work out where 400,000 came from. I can have a pretty good guess at where 200,000 came from, but what about the million? We've actually seen a miracle. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be the little boy who took his five barley loaves and two small fish and gave them to Jesus and then 5,000 people fed with my lunch? How would that feel? I think I've got an idea, because that's what we've done. Many of us in this congregation have given the little that we had and placed it into the hands of, of the Lord and seen him multiply its effectiveness to the point where 1.6 million pounds has been paid. I believe that in this last few years, we have done two things. We have proved God's faithfulness, and we've begun to experience God's blessing in a new way than we had ever done before. Now, the question then is, where do I get that from Scripture? Is there a place in Scripture where God challenges the children of Israel to prove his faithfulness and experience his blessing? The answer is yes, There is a passage, and it comes in the last book of the Old Testament, and we're going to read that passage this morning. So, Malachi, end of the Old Testament, chapter 3, and read from verse 6. Let me explain first what was happening here. 
the children of Israel had returned from exile and they'd come back to Jerusalem. And the great expectation, what would it be like to be back in the land? Surely God's going to bless us with his favor when we get back there. But when they got there, their dream became a nightmare. And they found one problem after another. And they faced economic pressure, enemies around them. Life was really tough. The crops didn't grow well and they didn't have enough money in the bank if they had a bank. And so they decided they couldn't really give their tithe to God because they didn't have enough to feed their family. Quite understandable, you might think. What did God think about that? Let's read from verse 6 of Malachi, chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain from carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with one another, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the destruction Distinction between righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Really, I want to focus on one verse. Years ago, the preachers used to have a text, my text for today. Well, I've got one. It's verse 10 of this reading. Here it is. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And from this point, this, this is the point, text now. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw, up the floodgates of, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Test me and see if I will not bless you. That's the simple message this morning. Just two points. God asks us to test his faithfulness. And if we'll test his faithfulness, we will experience his blessing. 
So let's look at those two points one at a time. This is the one time in Scripture where God says, test me. There are other places in Scripture where God says specifically, do not test the Lord your God. Can you think of them? There's one springs to mind straight away, isn't there? Temptations, absolutely. Jesus has been tempted by the devil. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you throw yourself down, the angels will bear you up because scripture says so. And Jesus says, you shall not test the Lord your God. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy where the children of Israel complained to Moses about their lack of water. And they were in danger of turning away from God's way and and turning to other gods. So we shouldn't test God's patience by grumbling or test God's patience by turning away from him. But here he says, test me. Trust me, in other words. Trust me in the area of financial provision. Now this might sound to some like a, you know, you give and God will bless you. That's the sort of gospel we're not very keen on, are we, Pastor Christie? That uh, prosperity gospel. But it's not. This is not a prosperity gospel message, nor is it a fundraising message. The funds are already raised. This is a testimony message, testifying that God has multiplied that which we have given. And it's, it's not a prosperity gospel message because the effect of this multiplication... Like the multiplication of the loaves and fishes was not for the benefit of the one who gives the gift. It's for the benefit of those who receive the blessing. God hasn't enriched our bank balances because we gave to the building fund. I don't think, unless you've got a testimony you want to share with me. But God has certainly enriched the resources of this church in a way that is absolutely amazing. For those who remember being in leadership here in 2009, when I was appointed alongside Pastor Christie, when we looked at the accounts in January 2009, there was enough to pay our salaries in January and maybe February, but not a lot more. We were living very much hand to mouth. We had a gift day on the first Sunday in February, and £7,000 were given. From that point on, the resources have multiplied to the point that we've never struggled for lack of resources in all that time. And now taken on a 1.6 million building cost and seeing God provide. We've begun to test his faithfulness by doing what we can and trusting God to do what we could never do ourselves. So, back to this scripture. Test me, says God, to the children of Israel. Because they were going through a torrid time. Haggai, who was a prophet at the same time, in chapter 2, verse 16, says, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. And when anyone came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. In other words, they thought they had resources, but when they turned to them, they weren't the resources they thought. Have you ever felt like that? Don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Don't just know what to do next. Chapter 3, verse 11 of Malachi says that pests were devouring their crops and vines were dropping their fruit. So it was a tremendously difficult time. And they began to question what was the point. 
What was the point of worshipping a God if he couldn't provide your daily needs? What was the point of all this devotion to him if he wasn't paying you back with some blessings? What's the point? won't be surprised if here in church this morning you're thinking, what's the point? I've come to church, but I'm thinking, what's the point? It hasn't made any difference in my life. Well, have we really tested his faithfulness? Have we really surrendered what we have to him? Have we really surrendered all that we have and all that we are and say, Lord, I'm yours. Take my life and use it as you will for your glory. Then you'll begin to experience blessing. So because they experienced pressure on their family budget, they reduced their giving. Uh, for 17 years, I served as a national overseer for this network of churches that we're a part of. And one of the first signs that a problem in a church is where people stop giving and the offerings reduce. And the sign of the health of the church is where in- income increases. They've stopped their giving. And God said, you're robbing me by not giving what you ought. So he asked them to test his faithfulness and promised they would experience blessing. Second, back to verse 10. Test me and see if I will not Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This phrase, floodgates of heaven, anyone remember where it was used previously? I'd be surprised if you remember, but if you do, you're a brilliant Bible student. I had to look it up. Pardon? Yeah, Nowhere in a sense floodgates of heaven, but that was a bit devast- devastation, wasn't it? I'm thinking of a phrase that was used when it was about provision. It's back in the time of Elisha. Elisha the prophet is a prophet in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And the, the city of Samaria is surrounded by army enemies, and inside there's no food. We're in uh, 2 Kings chapter 7 for those taking notes. There's no food, so much so that they're eating donkeys' heads and even babies. It's a desperate situation. They're starving. Outside the gates of Samaria are some lepers. Remember the story now? And the lepers are also starving, and they say, well, shall we try and get in? What's the point? They're starving in there. Let's take our life in our hands, and let's go to the enemy. They can only kill us, and we're going to die anyway. But you never know, they might, they might actually be generous. And so they make their way to the enemy's camp, and they find the enemies disappeared and left all their resources and all their food because the enemies heard the sound of an approaching army that didn't exist. And so the lepers have a real good banquet until one of them says, this isn't right, is it? We should go back to Samaria and tell the people there that there's this blessing. So where does this phrase, 
opening the floodgates of heaven come in that story. Well, the prophet Elisha is saying to the people who are starving, tomorrow there'll be plenty of food. And they replied to him, if God were to open the floodgates of heaven, that wouldn't happen. That's when he comes. So when this phrase here, that God will open the floodgates of heaven, it speaks about God pouring out a blessing of provision. Specifically, then, look at verse 10 to 12. What did this blessing that God promised entail? Well, it's, it will not, you will not have room enough for it. So it's a blessing that exceeds their faith, their capacity. It will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. It's a blessing that expels their fears. And third, when all the nations call, then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. It's a blessing that extends their witness. People are like alliteration, there's three. Exceed your faith, expel your fears, and extend your witness. But it is primarily about extending the witness. Because the people of God were not a good testimony to God's provision because they weren't trusting him to provide. They were seeking to provide for themselves what they could, and what they could wasn't enough. God said, trust me to provide, and then you'll experience this overflowing blessing that you'll not have capacity enough for, It will remove the difficulties and it will make you a witness to the nations around. You see, it's not a prosperity gospel. It's about becoming a witness to the people, not about filling my bank balance. And anyone that uses this passage that way is misinterpreting this passage. So, I believe we have tested God's faithfulness and financially seen provision But I don't believe the blessings that we are experiencing or will experience in the future are limited to pounds in the church's bank account. No, we've already begun to experience blessings through the opening and use of that building next door. You talk to anyone that works on a Monday morning, they've got a week off this week, we've heard, But on a Monday morning with the the toddlers, 30 or so children and their parents and carers, only less than fingers of one hand of them come to this church. But serving this community and people coming in from different nationalities with their children, with a story of the pressures and difficulties that's life today in the 21st century. And the privilege of members of staff are sitting down with mums and dads and carers And having the opportunity to actually hear some of the troubles and difficulties and pray with them, for them, support them, offer advice in a listening ear. So much so that the health visitors in our area recommend that group as the best group in the Carnforth area. It's an amazing privilege to... For people to trust us enough to share their story and their struggles. But that's only one group. Many of you are involved in some of the other groups that take place. Whether it's carers support, dementia sufferers with music and memories, the bereaved in grief share, the divorced and separated in divorce care, and those doing art for the third age. 
as well as opening our doors to members of AA Alcoholics Anonymous who come on a Tuesday evening. That building is being what we designed it to be, a resource center for our community. I know some folks, when we started the plan, said it's not big enough, and it isn't big enough to contain this congregation every Sunday, but it's big enough to do what it was designed to do, which is be a base from which we can reach a community. It's a mission base. It's a mission center. And we're seeking to reach out through it. And God promises to bless our endeavors as we take steps of courage to test his faithfulness and prove his, his provision. I don't know about you, but through the fundraising And when I say fundraising, we didn't do fundraising. We had some gift days. But most of the things came through in the general offering. We didn't do any sales of work. We didn't do any uh, sponsored this, that, or the other. We just simply gave and trusted God to provide. And some of us have discovered, if we didn't know it already, the joy of giving. It's an amazing, if you've not done it, being generous, it's an amazing feeling. Two little stories. I'm nearly finished, by the way. Uh, two little stories. Soon after we married and came out of Bible college to serve in the Preston area in church, it was our wedding anniversary, and uh, I'd booked a table in a local restaurant. And uh, so we went along that evening to the restaurant, and we had a, a really good meal, and then I went to pay the bill. And to my utter amazement, it had already been paid. And now I was in the position of suspecting who might have done it. It was wonderful to be able to imagine, be suspicious about the generosity of people rather than the other way around. You can understand what I'm saying. I still don't know, but I have a sneaking suspicion I know, but I don't know for a fact it, so I was thinking, who have I told I was coming tonight? You know, that, who, who might have known? And how did they do it? So it's, it's a great feeling when someone's generous to you, isn't it? But I suggest it's an even greater feeling when you're generous to somebody else. Second story. Several years later, we were in another restaurant. We seem to spend a lot of time there. No, we don't. <laughs> we were in another restaurant. And we're just about to finish our meal when a young couple from a young engaged couple from our church came in to have their meal. And we looked at each other. And we said, Yeah, let's do it. So we when we paid our bill, we paid theirs as well. I don't know how that works exactly, because they probably hadn't eaten all their sweet by then, but <laughs> it seemed to work. It's a better feeling being generous than receiving generosity. Why is this? Because we're, when we're generous, we get close to the heart of God, who loved us so much, he gave his one and only son. I commend you, congregation, for your generosity in the last years of giving some of you I know sacrificially to the building fund. It's a great feeling when we give what we have and see God provide what we don't have.
So when people ask you, have you ever seen a miracle? You say, yeah. In the provision of resources to pay 1.6 million that we could never, ever envisage doing ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we're living at a time of economic challenge and recession. And maybe many of us struggle at different points to cover all the costs and pay the bills. How can we prove your faithfulness, Lord? What can we do whilst looking to you to do what we can't? We wouldn't want to test your patience. We wouldn't want to argue and complain about your call in our lives. We would want to be the people who have got a testimony. A testimony that says, God is faithful and just so much wants to pour out an overflowing blessing that will not just bless the people who gave, but more especially bless those who receive. Lord, hear our prayer as we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.